need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast for myself, Jeff, and Eric. Hey, how's it going? It's a day of the week. Uh, we go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's movies in chronological order, and we report back to you. And uh, we are well into his catalog now. He is a household name at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would say uh, beyond a household name. At this point, I think we could already call him an icon. Right? Yes, I think that's fair. I think uh, it is an event when the new Spielberg movie comes out. Not so much in like current day, like today, the new Spielberg comes out. I guess maybe. I don't. Did anybody really get that hype for BFG, Ready Player One? You know, uh, we'll have West to talk Side about, Story. We'll have to talk about those aberrations when we get to them. Yeah. Uh, West Side Story. Um, I think a certain subset of people probably got hyped for it, but. He doesn't strike me as a musical guy. No. Well, you know, you got to try everything once. You know, I haven't seen it, so it might be amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it, too. I, like We've been many, meaning to watch it since it showed up on Disney and, and HBO, and we just never have gotten around to it. So at this point now, I'm just saving it for the show. Yeah. We've, we've got about 30, not 30, about 20, not even 20, about 18 movies left. Oh, that sounds like a lot when you say it like that. Yeah, we've we've watched and recorded twenty, um, but there's also all those bonuses in there and everything. Right, so. right, yeah. Well, no more dilly dallying. We watched Saving Private Ryan from 1998. We are near the end of the uh, 90s here, and uh, let me double check and make sure this isn't the end. When did AI come out? I do uh, not know. I'm checking. Because if this is the end of the 90s, we need to have a brief discussion about his this decade. Um, yeah, AI is 2001. Oh, wow. So That's this, a long this, break. Yeah. Um, he did a documentary short and a video short. Yeah, it, that is a long break, especially to do such a huge pile of garbage that's coming up. Um, again, I haven't seen it in years, but... Uh, so, yes, yeah, Saving Private Ryan, 98, AI, 2001. So let's look back at this decade real quick. Um, we start off with Hook. Sure. Jurassic Park. Yeah. Schindler's List. Yes. Lost World. Okay, yeah. Amistad. Yeah, okay. And Saving Private Ryan. How do you feel? Like, we talked about the 80s and the ETs and the... And the Temple of Dooms and the Raiders. Well, this is, I mean, it, it's another banger decade. Um, but you can definitely see Spielberg probably picking his projects a little more carefully than in the 80s. Um, like, he's he's less prolific here. Like, I feel like the 80s had more films and they were more frequent, you know, than the 90s. And I would say the 90s... Uh, the hit to miss ratio is a little better, you know? Um, so I, I think that uh, he's kind of slowed down and started uh, kind of 
taking his time on some of these a little more and and not just like cranking out content for the sake of cranking. And I mean, I, like, I don't think that in the 80s he was being like careless yeah. or anything, but the, the 90s output does feel more deliberate you know you've got more long epics you've got you know like that the scope of the films has gone up significantly so uh yeah i feel like this is this is a guy who's kind of come into his own yeah and i think looking forward we're oh no maybe not there there's some anyway all right so um I think that definitely this is accented by, you've always got the Jurassic Parks, but then it's like Schindler's List, Amistad, Private Ryan, which are all um, serious timepieces. Yeah, boom, 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 right in a row like that too, you know? Yeah, yeah, none of of which are easy to create. You know, each of these Mm -hmm. is is a big project, you know, Um, period pieces. I gotta think this is... High-end cast. The toughest one. I uh, got to think Private Ryan was the toughest one. I know the other one has period pieces, but there's so many action set pieces here. Yeah. I, and I, just I, the Normandy opening. On a technical level, uh, yeah, this is this is probably pretty tough. I, I was reading this morning that that Normandy sequence, they did not have storyboarded out ahead of time. They went in there, they had like 20 days or three weeks or something like that to shoot it, and they were just setting up shots on the fly and and making up the gags like as they went along. And, and by gags, I mean like some of the cool special effects shots. Like, yeah. Like uh, he pulls a chicken out. <laughs> right, right, right. But they were making up, you know, like the guy getting shot in the canteen and the blood comes out, you know, like mm-hmm. the guy, like... They, they they had a general idea of what they were going to try to do, and they filmed it chronologically. So first they filmed them getting off the boat, and then they filmed so it. So we approve of that. Yeah, yeah, but they, they were they were setting up those shots and doing them, like, on the fly, um, which is extremely impressive when you watch that finished sequence that they that they didn't have it storyboarded out because I think, like, like all of the film, in the chaos you really get a feel for what's going on. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like you can follow what's happening. Okay, they're off the boat. Now they're regrouping and now they're heading up to the thing. They're going to try to take that machine gun out. Da, da, da. Like you can really see the progression and, and the planning uh, that this team is going through as they're working their way up the beach in the midst of all the chaos. And the fact that they were able to kind of put that together through a series of improvised shots is uh, mad, mad incredible. Yeah. So um, before we dig too deep, what's your history with Private Ryan? Yeah, so <laughs> I saw this movie opening night, and uh, at that point, like nobody had seen it yet, you know, and, and like mm-hmm. just a couple early reviews were out, and so I was in a theater of people who just simply were not ready, <laughs> you know, it like like. I, I mean, every, a lot of most people have seen this movie at this point, but like, take yourself back to the first time you saw it, and and if you didn't see it opening night, you had probably heard something about it, you know. But I went into it expecting a war movie, and it just pinned me to my seat, like, like, oh Jesus Christ, like, you know, because I saw it in a great theater with a good sound system, mm-hmm. and uh, man, like, you could just. Feel in the theater, people were just like 
it was kind of like seeing Jurassic Park for the first time. People were just like, what the hell? You know, like very different feeling, different yes. feeling, but same like overwhelming feeling of, oh, this is new. This is different. This is not what I thought I was getting into here. This isn't good morning Vietnam. You know, <laughs> like, this is a whole different animal. Like at this point, there had not been a war movie like this. You know, yeah. like this was a very, very groundbreaking. And uh, and so like I remember that that opening scene the first time I saw it, like you got to remember, like nobody then you didn't know who Vin Diesel was. You didn't know who Barry Pepper was. You didn't know who Giovanni Ribisi was like these. These were unknown actors at that time. And so there like, are so many like, oh, my gosh, they're in this. Oh, yeah, for I sure. Think dancing for Ted Danson was like the one that was sort of out of left field for me. I was like, Ted Danson? <laughs> yeah, Nathan really? Nathan Fillion. I, I didn't ever realize before viewing it this time that that was him. And I was like, oh, shit. And then Paul Giamatti's in there, too, which I, I'm a huge... I love Paul Giamatti. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. But um, again, like, those faces were recognizable, but the most of the cast was not. And so, like, kind of, like, watching that opening scene through all the chaos and, like, trying to put together, like, who was who? Who are these guys? How do they fit together? Like, outside of Tom Hanks and a little bit Tom Sizemore, like... I, I didn't really know who they were. And so like every time somebody shows up on screen, I'm like, is that going to be one of the make? Oh shit. He's dead. Was that going to be one of yeah. the main characters? Oh, he got shot in the head, you know, like, and, and so then as the group kind of gels towards the end of that scene, you start realizing who your main guys are. Um, but for, for the majority of the time it was, it was just chaos. And so it was like a really overwhelming experience and, and just super. I absolutely, fell in love with the movie on many levels. Uh, and then I actually uh, soon after took a trip to Toledo and I demanded that my dad go with me and I took him to see it. Um, and I think I saw it at least one more time in the theaters after that. Uh, and then of course, you know, bought the DVD and watched that a million times and the extras, which I've really missed after watching this. I was like, Oh, I want to watch the extras. Wait, mm-hmm. this is on freaking Amazon. There are no extras. You bastards. Uh, and then uh, when my sons, my older sons came of age, uh, uh, old enough to watch it and comprehend it, I, we, we watched it. Um, and I wished at that point that I had had a projector so I could have shown it on like a big, overwhelming uh, screen. But yeah, so uh, a formative movie for me, even as, you know, a guy in my late 20s, mid 20s at this point. Um, I, I really, really uh, loved it, and I've, I've seen it a lot of times. That said, again, as usual, uh, this is the first time in 15, 20 years that I've watched this movie. Uh, oh, no, no, I showed it to my sons. But gosh, that even that feels like that was seven or eight years ago. Um, so, yeah, it's been a while. You know, and just in general, I feel like streaming has a lot to do with this. Like, Back in the, the day, the, before yeah. before the age of streaming, I watched movies more frequently. Like, I would watch them again. But now it just seems like content is just flying at you from every direction <laughs> 24-7. And there's so much good stuff to watch, so much new stuff to watch that I don't, right. I don't revisit the stuff that I really love as often as I used to. Uh, which is why I'm enjoying doing this show so much. Because, like, I, I am going back and revisiting some of these things that I really, you know, love and admire. So, uh so yeah, yeah, this is uh this is, you know, up there towards the the tippy top in my list of of films. Yeah. 
Uh, I did see this in theater and haven't seen it since. I oh, remember wow. watching it and being like, that was that was really good. But I just, I, as I've said several episodes, I am not a, a military movie guy. I don't really like war movies. Um, and I don't think I had that. I, I kind of realized when watching this, I don't think I got that opinion until I watched Private Ryan in the theaters as to why I'm not a big war movie guy. And it's not for any war movies are bad reason. It's just like, I just don't want to feel this. <laughs> you know, I just, this is not how I want to feel today. Um, because there's all the emotions of like, these guys are, some of them don't get the volunteer. There's the draft and, you know, and their lives are over and, uh, you know, and there's some very difficult uh, things to watch in this film, but you know, it's still every bit. I think I still feel the same way I did before, which is like, what an impressive film. I'm never going to watch it again. Um, I had the exact opposite. Like I was like, I want to rewatch it now. As soon as as it was over, I almost stayed up last night and started it over again. Like I, yeah, it's very, very different. And, and I fully understand and acknowledge all the things that you're saying about like what a difficult sit it is and that, like how it makes you confront all of these different realities and, and, you know, these people's experiences and how just crap all that is. But I still, I just love it, man. Yeah. I, and I, that's obviously it's a, a masterful film. I just, um, uh, so I was realizing another reason I don't like war movies and it kind of, um, so growing up in the church, you always get like, someone will watch band of brothers and then write a series of sermons on it. And I'm what, you know, and look at this, you gotta be with your brother in the foxhole. Get off my back, man. That's, that's nothing like this, you know, <laughs> so, so- be be watching your back at Denny's is not the same as actually being in a damn foxhole. I just, it's kind of one of those things where everybody's got, you got to watch your brother's back, which, all right, I get, I mean, the appeal of the brotherhood of the film, you know, there's a character up who is largely on the outs with everyone. Cause he's, this is a term that's obviously more recent, but uh, my sister's ex-husband was, uh, in the military, but he was in the forward operating base and they had a term called fobbits. Basically, people who aren't in combat but are in the military are sort of um, looked down upon or maybe there's some resentment there uh, by the people who are in the front line, you know, and that's who this guy is. He's very much not in the front line, but by the end of the movie or right before the final sequence, you know, he kind of everyone's invited him in you know he's part of the team because he's been through it with them yeah upham is a an interesting character and and i want to i mean obviously we're gonna get into him we'll get into we'll get into it but uh let me ask you this um so watching it this time obviously you're older than you were when you saw it in the theater um despite all of the you know terrible imagery and stuff that it dredges up did you enjoy the film like did did you yeah did you like it like were you have it like were you entertained i think definitely there was a point in the middle when before giovanni rabisi gets killed um 
that I was definitely like all in on. Like I really, one thing that this movie does so well is the characters. Like you have a squad of military men and you don't really want any of them to die. Even the annoying ones like Adam Goldberg's character. He's kind of annoying, right? He's kind of a smarmy guy. But then late in the film, when he gets in dire trouble, you're like, you still don't want him to go, you know, and it's that kind of brilliant screenwriting and acting and uh, that really makes it work. Um, so, yes, I enjoy the movie. I don't hear me in a different way, but uh, yes, to answer your question, I enjoyed the film. OK, cool, cool, cool. No, it is not a uh, this is not a um, an Empire of the Sun sort of. Uh, no, the, I mean, the movie d- is not boring. It's always moving forward. Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks. He's amazing. Um, Like, and I think the casting is so brilliant. Like with Matt Damon is just the right call for Private Ryan. Uh, as the young, clean, good looking guy, you know, like you got to get him out of there. Um, I was surprised by seeing Vincent vincent diesel um but yeah 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 again like this was my first exposure to vin diesel and then i don't think i saw him again until probably pitch black um yeah and honestly i've never sat down and watched a fast and furious movie like i've never i've never you've never watched any of them no i've never i've never seen any of them that's unfortunate so to me vin diesel is uh What's the name of the guy in Riddick? He's Riddick, and uh, oh, he'll and he's, always be Dom Toretto to me. And but. he's Caparzo, and and that's that's it. That's it. and Groot, of course. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah. So so to me, like he really made an impression in this movie. Like, and every time I watch the film, I'm shocked at how quickly he gets bumped off because yeah. when, <laughs> when I when I when I think about you know the guys in the movie, he's always up there at the top, like of, of the people that are in this movie and of the primary characters, he's the first to go. And, and it always surprises me. I'm like, damn, we're here already. Like we're already at the thing with the kid, you know, because it feels like it's easily the first hour of the movie. Oh yeah. You know, they, 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 it's like the first, thing that happens when they get their new mission to save private ryan exactly they go off and and i guess there's a whole segment that's been cut out of the movie um where they lose the jeep because they leave they leave uh the camp in a jeep and then like they're walking and then they're walking and so there's a segment where they where they lose the jeep <laughs> which i never I didn't even, even notice <laughs> i never even noticed it's, it's like elliot's thing with the dinosaur at the top of the cliff like i yeah. never even noticed until i read about like oh there's a segment missing and i was like oh yeah okay that makes sense and later on when tom hanks said we lost we lost most of our ammo that's what he's talking about it was in the jeep and they lost the jeep mm, okay uh but yeah it's it's the first thing but let's let's back up again cuz i think like we need to talk more about the normandy thing you know right. um because prior to this movie like i'd heard about you know quote the storming of the beach in normandy like throughout my life like you hear it you know um the the biggest the biggest reference to it that comes to mind for me is uh teddy and stand by me are you a stand by me guy uh, uh i'm not not a stand by. i've seen it once i think i uh, do that's the 
that's with um will um will wheaton yeah will wheaton in river phoenix and yeah, yeah, yeah. i need to rewatch it it's been ages Corey, um, Corey I, Feldman plays a character and his ears are burnt and uh oh yes his, i his remember dad that. held his held his head to the stove and everybody mm-hmm. calls his dad a psycho and when when teddy loses it when Corey Feldman loses it like he's like my dad stormed the beach in normandy you know like to defend his dad or whatever um yeah. but i never i never quite comprehended what that meant until i saw this movie and uh I think there's probably a lot of people in my generation and maybe even in my dad's generation uh, who were like the Vietnam guys who, yeah. who who didn't necessarily comprehend like what storming the beach in Normandy was really all about. Like you hear these statistics, you hear these numbers, you hear like, oh, we lost, you know, 120,000 guys at Normandy or whatever it was. Yeah. I, I have no idea what the real number was, uh, but it, like that's just a number, you know, it. But when you you see those boats rolling up to the beach and that damn hatch goes down and then those machine guns just tear into these guys and it's just like, oh, shit, like that, that's what this was like. It was like a shooting range. It was it yeah. was like a slaughterhouse, you know, like un unbelievable levels of death and destruction. And they sent these guys into it willingly. I, I, I read this morning that the majority of the people uh, that were storming the beach at Normandy were new recruits. Like, they were fresh out of basic training. They hadn't seen combat before. So, in this case, like, Tom Hanks and his crew, they were kind of like the seasoned veterans, which might be why some of them, like, clearly not all of them on that boat, yeah. but some of them made it up onto the beach just because like they had been through some shit before. But the majority of the guys who were there were like brand spanking new. So they're on these boats and the things come down and boom, they're in the shit. And that is like the shittiest shit of all shit of all time. Like, like just unbelievable odds against them, you know? And, and the only way I think that the United States and allies, because there were other people besides Americans there, uh, succeeded was just sheer numbers. Yeah. Like just, just throw 200,000 people at this and some of them are going to get through, you know? Um, but man, what a, what a crazy series of events another thing that i was reading which was really interesting that i hadn't realized before you know those like those big structures on the beach those big xy things those big steel uh yeah they call them like groundhogs or hedgehogs or something you see them in other movies right you see them in like dunkirk and stuff um i didn't know what they i've never known what they were and why they were there and like i've always seen in this movie like the guys taking cover behind them and right so i was like did the allies put it down there so to give the people i'd cover? maybe wonder like, if they did like a flyby and just drop them off in preparation yeah that's totally know? not what it was and i had yeah. no idea so what they really are are they are anti-landing craft structures put in place by the nazis the Nazis always assumed that the Americans would attack at high tide because it would give them less beach to cover to get to those machine mm-hmm. guns, right? And so they put these things strategically there. And the whole point of them is that when boats come in and they're going to rip out the bottoms of the boats 
and and sink everybody and then a lot of them had mines attached to the top of them so the boats would hit the mines and explode not letting the allies get to uh you know the beach but the allies flipped the script and attacked at low tide so the water was below level on those leaving them exposed and that's like what they were there for which okay. I had never known. It like blew that's my good mind. information. Yeah, I, I had no idea like what that was all about. Um, so yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah, I'm finding myself getting more and more depressed the more we talk about it. I, I just <sighs> there's such a glorification of war, and not in this film. This film is very um, uh, deliberate in the nastiness and the ugliness of war and the humanity of it um they don't humanize a lot of the enemy um if any um but it just i don't know i i don't <laughs> that's not for me oh uh, no, so I they said I mean, but world war ii is such a fascinating topic in general like like yeah and and this this really puts you on a ground level with like actual human beings and, and you see like the human cost, like each one of those guys that gets gunned down is a life. Like somebody mm-hmm. birthed that baby and that kid went to school and had friends and had a girlfriend. And, you know, like each one of those people is an individual life, which is just right. s- snuffed out and it's heinous. But if you like scope out and scope out and scope out and like start looking at the war in general, like it was so big and so much stuff happens. Like, you can see why people have committed entire careers to studying, you know, just one aspect, one theater in World War II. Because, like, like Spielberg, so this is our third World War II movie, mm-hmm. and they are dramatically different, you know? <laughs> like, Empire of the Sun, uh, uh, Schindler's List, and then this one. Uh, what about 1941? And- Oh, fuck that. Uh, was, it, was that World War? <laughs> was that a World War II movie? It was uh, pre-World War II. Oh, okay. Well, uh, World War II was happening elsewhere. I, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. I don't, like, that was right after Pearl Harbor, right? That's when that happened? Regard- yeah, that's right. Yep. Regardless, so, like, and there's entire aspects, like, like, there's, we don't even touch on the Pacific and what's going on there. You know, like, there's just so much that happened in those years. Um. It's an. I, I think I'm getting to the age where I'm one of those dads who would sit there and watch the History Channel on, like, you know, the naval ships in the Pacific. <laughs> I'd sit there and watch it for six hours, you know? Like, I've just kind of hit that age where it starts to, like, fascinate me. Uh, yeah. Just, just the history of the It's thing. too bad the History Channel isn't what it was. Now yeah. it's just all dramas. Um, It's gone the way of MTV. Boo. Um, so... Huh, I've lost track of what I like. So they end up surviving, right? And then you're actually introduced to the the immediate crew. So you got Private Jackson, played by Barry Pepper, who is the sniper, who's awesome, right? He's cool to me. Like he's a cool guy. He is. He's a cool guy. Yeah. He's kind of kind of funny in a dry way, and just he like, does his prayer when he's sniping. Very <laughs> like, very confident in his abilities, man. The snipers are always like the 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 when you watch these or like even Lord of the Rings, everybody's like Legolas is so cool, um, just because the amazing amount of skill it takes to do what they do. Uh, you're introduced to Private Millish, who's Adam Goldberg, who's just there to annoy everyone. I, don't, I think he's uh, kind of funny, like. I- 
I he don't know. I just... He definitely has good relationships with the other guys. Yeah. You know, like like they do that little kissy thing at each other. Him and, <laughs> him and Vin Diesel, and then him and Ed, Ed Burns do it together too. Uh, I don't know. Like I I I feel like he's one of those uh, just like reliable guys who kind of helps glue the platoon together. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, well, Private Caparzo, who's Vin Diesel, who I just assumed was the muscle. Um, just because he's the biggest guy there. Um, Tom Sizemore, who's the number two behind Tom Hanks is Captain Miller. I guess my what I assumed was the number three was Ed Burns' character. Um, just because of, but I could be wrong. I just kind of got this like leader vibe out of him. Yeah, I don't know if if he's like in rank higher than the other guys, but he definitely is. The well, they're all privates, and vocal. then you've got yeah your field medic played by Giovanna Ribisi. Um, he's so good in this movie. Um, and then Jeremy Davis playing Upham, who is the translator, who yeah. gets dragged into this as a a non combat person. So he's very much the weakest link. Yeah, yeah. And, and each of these characters, I mean, we could we could take them one by one and and talk about them. Um. I don't know. Let, let me just ask you this. Out of these characters, who is your favorite? Mm. So, I think the most complex one was Upham. Jackson is the coolest. Rubisi is probably the one I'd want to hang out with, though. So, I'll just go with Giovanni Rubisi. Cool. Like... It'd be easier for to pick a least favorite, which actually would be Ed Burns's character. Even I disliked him more than Goldberg's character. But again, they all kind of gel and later you like all of them by the end of the film. But that early introduction of uh, Adam Goldberg's character is just like you. Well, Ed Burns is probably the most contentious. Like a lot of yeah. a lot of the uh, conflict in the platoon kind of centers around. Is Ed it Burns. cheating to say Tom Hanks? No, I don't think it's cheating oh, to say no. Tom Hanks. I'm not going to say it. I'm I think, go Giovanni. I, but I, I think uh, my favorite is probably Sergeant Horvath, um, and and Tom Sizemore. You know, obviously a troubled guy. You know, like he he's had a lot of troubles throughout the years. I was reading about him this morning, and I'm not going to go into all of the troubles he's had. Yeah. Um, but there's there's no denying uh, the deep well of talent in that guy. And I think the the humanity that he brings to Sergeant Horvath, just this like quiet leadership that he has. And um, then when he later on when he has to step up and be the asshole. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, like like he he's the perfect right hand man for, for Tom Hanks, right? And they've clearly been through some shit and they've been together for a while and they have this working partnership and and you know in private they are on first name basis in private they're on a first name basis and and tom hanks knows that sergeant horvath is going to have his back you know whether his decisions are good as not or not horvath is going to you know step up and you know enforce the chain of command you know uh but you know the the quiet moments between those two are fantastic. I love the little touch where Horvath is collecting little tins of dirt from all the places that he's been. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and every time I watch this film, 
he's kind of the one that I end up centering on. You know, like I really, really like the character. And it, like to me, like he feels like the sort of person that I would want to follow into battle. You know, like Tom Hanks, uh, he's a good leader for the guys. But if it weren't for Sergeant Horvath there, you know, like I don't know if they would have stuck together yeah. after Giovanni Ribisi died. You know, like I don't know uh, if, if that leadership would have carried through. Like I, I think that, that Horvath is... Uh, you know, the spine carrying Tom Hanks's messages to the rest of the platoon's body, you know? And yeah. uh, like, I just, I really, really enjoy his performance in this. So I, I think the reason I like, um, he's credited as medic Wade. What's his name in this? The character's name. Uh, Wade. He's Wade. Is it Wade? Um, uh, I can't remember his first name, but they say it, it. just says medic Wade. Um, but, yeah. But for me, the reason I like him is because he's actually like, so there's a lot of points where Corporal Upham is the moral high ground, right? Like when they capture the guy who surrendered after killing Giovanni Ribisi, he's like, no, you don't, he's a POW. You don't just kill a POW. You, you know, he tries to treat him with respect. And, you know, in my opinion is probably the moral high ground. You don't want to devolve into animals. Um, once you've captured him and he's surrendered, you would want the same level of treatment. And that's what he says to give. So he's kind of this moral high ground. But he also hasn't seen a lot of battle. And when the time comes to have moral high ground after he's seen battle, he kind of loses it, right? Um, but Giovanni Ribisi has seen battle. He's in the shit. And he's also got moral high ground. Um, he's very conscious and aware of his surroundings when they're out there count like, joking about the dog tags, looking for Private Ryan's dog tags, and, oh, here's the one with a bullet. Oh, this guy really got it, you know. And then the that squad is walking by, seeing this, and he's the guy who grabs them all, and he's like, you fucking idiots. And even Tom Hanks isn't aware. His right. character's not aware, and he's like, right here, you stupid mother, you know. Um, I think that's what I liked about him, is he just kind of tried to do the best he could at all times. No, I think that's true. And this movie is is so full of like fantastic moments like that. I I think that's that's outside of the huge battle sequences and how well they're staged. I think the quiet moments like that where you really get this insight into the characters and and you know who they are and who they would be if they weren't in this situation uh it, it really uh is what makes the film resonate for me. Like I've always felt like Giovanni Ribisi although he's the medic in this film to me he also substitutes as like the chaplain for this group mm-hmm. you know like he just has that vibe to him like he is he is keeping their compass pointing north ethically at least he's trying to um and, and he's kind of the he's the moral he's the experienced moral center of the group and the right? people respect him. Right. So when he doesn't, you know, some, some people you get that guy who's like, Oh, you shouldn't be doing that. And he's just real annoying and bringing everyone down with his, you know, like, ah, oh, you're drinking too much. Shut up, man. That's a party. Chill out. He, everyone respects him when he does that, you know, when he comes in and like, Oh, he's telling us to back down because we are doing something wrong. Well, I mean, the difference between him and Jeremy Davies is that he's earned that respect. Right. Like, he's yeah. done with the platoon. He did storm the beach. 
you know, Jeremy Davies did not, you know, like he had that experience. He, uh, you know, he knows them and they know him and they know that they can rely on him and they rely on him so much that when he gets shot, they ask him while he's laying there dying mm-hmm. how to help him out, you know, because, you know, they're so accustomed to him be in to his credit he tries <laughs> to help them help him uh and then I mean, he very quickly realizes that he's done for and then he's just like you know hit me with the morphine hit me with the morphine you know and, and they they i think i've always interpreted that scene as they uh deliver an overdose of morphine to him and uh and he just dies uh i took it as more of um this is our last piece of morphine <laughs> Yeah. And we're going to use it on the guy who's definitely dying here in a few moments. You know, like that's how I took that scene. Um, but yeah, uh, and his, I think his death is the toughest one for, um, I, there are others that are tough, but it's the one that's like most like, ah, Lee, because he has been that compass. You also like, he slowly dies a horrible death. All everyone's around him holding his head. It's, well- the most gut-wrenching to me. So much so much happens in that sequence. There's so much storytelling in that sequence. And and to me it's like one of the most critical sequences in the movie. Let me let me read you this. I pulled this quote. This is from Roger Ebert's review. And I'm done, let me let me just read it. The turning point in the film comes, I think, when the squadron happens upon a German machine gun nest protecting a radar installation. It would be possible to go around it and avoid a confrontation. Indeed, that would be following orders. But they decide to attack the emplacement, and that is a form of protest. At the risk of their lives, they are doing what they came to France to do, instead of what the top brass wants them to do. Do you agree with that? Well, there is a moment, isn't that the same scene, right beforehand, where... There's uh the guy Ed Burns Private Reuben is totally against Private Ryan. He hates his guts, even though he's never met him. Because who is he? You know, we lost Vin Diesel, but even he's like, Captain, that's against orders. Like, because Tom Hanks is like, we're gonna take this thing, and he's like, that's against the orders though. And he's like, our orders are to win the war, and so that's I think where Ebert's getting all of that. Yeah, is, see, I, I, because yeah. it's pretty much illustrated there that Tom Hanks is like, we're going to take this out, so it doesn't take anybody else out. They come later. Yeah, I, 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 I strongly disagree with Ebert's assertion here that the group decides to do this as a form of, of protest. And I don't I, think the group does or is protest. Yes, I do think he is going against orders, but he justifies it by saying, "I'm here to win the war," much like Ebert says. Yeah, I, I. This time seeing the movie, I I read this differently than I ever have before. And it's because this scene is immediately preceded by the scene where Tom Hanks has that compass. And he's they're on the map. They're all squatted down around the map. And Tom Hanks' hand starts shaking, you know, because he's got PTSD. And, and the other guys see his hand shaking. And he looks down and he kind of, like, acknowledges it. And he folds up the compass and he puts it away. Right. Mm-hmm. Immediately afterwards is when they come upon this uh, this machine gun. And Tom Hanks, I feel, Captain Miller, in this situation, 
starts acting irrationally. Like, I feel like he's overcompensating. Like, I, like for the fact that the guys just saw him in a moment of weakness, right? And now he's got to prove himself as the commander, that he's strong enough to be the commander, and he's going to make this decision. And every other guy, not just Ed Burns, the rest of them pipe up too. The sniper and the other guys are like, come on, dude. Like, we don't have to do this. Let's just go around. And he, Tom Hanks digs in his heels. is like, no, we're going to do it. Sergeant Horvath, get him in line. Here's the command. And he's asking for volunteers. Who's going to go left? Who's going to go left? And everybody just stands there until finally the sniper's like, okay, I'll go left. Like, we're going to do the thing. So, like, that's the context of this whole situation. They're going into a battle they don't need to go into. And then Giovanni Ribisi gets killed as a result. And then that leads into the segment with the German guy, you know. And they're mad at him. Betty Boop, what a dish. Uh... And then, and, and like, and Jeremy Davies, like, defends that guy. But, again, he doesn't have the high moral ground because he doesn't have the same level of, of experience as the other guys. And I don't think he's wrong, though. Like, so I think I the think... movie proves him wrong. Like, I think within the context of the movie, he is proved wrong. I don't think, like, on an ethical or moral level in real life, he's wrong. But I right. think the movie eventually says he was wrong because he goes ahead and he argues and argues and argues and he gets that guy saved. And then what happens? That guy comes back. He kills Tom Hanks and Upham ends up killing him anyhow. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> so, so I think like within the context of the movie, the movie is saying, uh, maybe Upham was wrong to let this guy go. And it's a it's a strange message for the movie to carry. Like maybe you should just kill these POWs, <laughs> you know. But like that's what ends up happening, you know. Yeah. And it, it I don't know. There's there's so much in that machine gun storming sequence that you know takes place. So many character moments, you know, with Ed Burns and with Horvath and with, with all of them. Well, and it's a the revelatory re- sequence, you know. The guy gets set free. There's it's it's preceded by the Tom Hanks. What's the pool on me? You know, where am I from? And he finally opens up, and he says, "Every person I kill makes me feel further from home." And then he lets the guy go. You know, that's actually right after he lets the guy go because that's when the big argument takes place and. Ed Burns is, I'm out of here, and Sizemore draws a gun on him, and really one of the best scenes in the movie, um, because it just shows, even though I think Tom Sizemore's character is on the same side as, like, we should have killed this guy, he's back in his captain. Yeah. It, it's interesting because, like, it, it does show the tenuous hold that Chain of Command has on people when they're out in the field. You know, like like you have chain of command drilled into you at at uh, boot camp and, and the military structure relies on it. But, you know, in actuality, these guys are out there and they all have guns and they're all killing people. And, you know, the stakes are they couldn't be higher. You right. know, and if you're out there and you're a soldier and you're trusting somebody to lead you and do their best to keep you uh, in a safe position and they start making decisions that you feel are irrational. What are you going to do? You know, like, do you, like, do you like, think it would have been within Sizemore's right to pull rank and say in that moment, every member of this crew 
is saying we're not doing this. And I would think as him being the second in command, he could be in the right with the backing of his company to say, no, this is a bad decision. We're going around and to really pull rank, you know. But, yeah, but I don't I don't think in the structure of the military he would be in the right there. Like you just have to do what your superior officer tells you to do. Yeah. Period. It's not a democracy. Like you can't say, well, all these guys are behind a- me. You, how about I, you back down? Because then later on, if they really need like the orders, the whole thing's gone to shit. Like, like once you break that structure, then you know it's broken forever. Like, yes, you that's know, true. Like you might as well just kill the commanding officer because he is useless. <laughs> like you just cut his legs. But off I from mean, what? Them, there's you know? got to be a point where there's a line that's crossed, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's why commanding officers get fragged in the army. You know, <laughs> like yeah. people take them out. Uh, you know, like what's what's the great oh Gorman Gorman and aliens right? Uh, in aliens, like you got your troops and they're all you know your military space grunts, right? And then they send in this lieutenant to command them, and he's like been at school, you know, like, he was yeah. in this, the space aliens version of ROTC, right? So he's got officer status, but zero experience, and they're all supposed to follow his orders. And then, of course, when the shit goes down, he's totally ineffective. And I think that happens a lot in well, the, I, the real I world, at, too, um... you know, like the officer program, especially historically, was like a shit show, right? They mm-hmm. would take these rich kids and run them, and I'm talking back like, World War One, even Civil War times, take these rich kids, run them through officer training, and then put them in command of like experienced troops, and expect the experience the experienced troops to follow their orders when they have no experience, and they're just thinking about like military theory and da 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 da, you know. And then these guys are on the ground, like, dude, what the hell are you doing? And yeah, I I think that's probably why on occasion it falls apart and they kill these yeah. guys. Okay, well, um. So they let the guy go and then they head to, I can't remember. I, I think we'll just jump to when they find, unless I'm missing something important. They're walking through the field and they hear like tanks coming and they, they shoot and blow up the tank. And then they see another troop, another group of three guys, one of which happens to be Matt Damon's private Ryan. Yeah. So, I guess we should talk about Nathan Villian for before we get to this because I'm reminded <laughs> of the scene. So they go. You got a private Ryan? Yeah. And what's his first name? James. James. James Ryan? Yep. Bring him over here. Your brothers are dead. My brothers are dead. Oh, no. And he's like, yeah, they died in the line of duty. What? They're in grade school. Oh. Francis Ryan? No. <laughs> Frederick oh. Frederick Ryan yeah. my bad <laughs> and that's like when he does find Private Ryan later he's like alright Francis Ryan from Iowa yeah that's me like he doubles down to make sure he doesn't blow it again you that know whole, that whole segment with uh, with Nathan Fillion and Ted Danson and Giovanni not Giovanni Ribisi um, what's his name Paul, Paul Giamatti. Giamatti yeah has one of the best moments in the movie which is when uh, Paul Giamatti goes to sit down and get the pebble out of his shoe 
and the, the whole wall behind him falls down. Oh, yeah. And there's all those Germans in there, and it's like a total standoff. Like, everybody's screaming at each other. Everybody's, like, aiming their guns at each other. And it really it becomes this, like, how the hell are our guys going to get out of this moment? Yeah. You know, because, like... And it goes on, it's probably a good, like, 15, 20 seconds of everybody screaming mm-hmm. at each other before Ted Danson comes in from above and saves them. But uh, just a, another, Ted Danson. Like... <laughs> I just, that's a miscast if ever there was one. <laughs> I, I just know. can't I see Ted okay. Danson. I don't know. Right. He's not grizzled at all. I just well, flew you in know... from Cheers and blew the place up. I don't know. You got to think, like, when it comes to a war like this, everybody you got is going to go, including Ted Danson, you know? Yeah, like, but he's never one know. of the, the captains, you know? Like, I, I don't know. There's something like Sizemore. There's something like a hard edge to him, right, that just Danson doesn't have. Hmm. I don't know. That's just me. Would you fight Ted Danson? Would I fight think? Ted Danson? And what kind of fight? Would like a fight knife Ted fight? Danson? Like just a fist fight. Would you want to fight Ted Danson? I don't want to fight anyone. Listen, I'm a cat. Listen. Hey, <laughs> you know which character I'm the closest to? Fucking up him. All right. I'm a coward. I'm going to hide and cry. Like I didn't judge him when he does the worst thing he does in the movie. I did a little bit, but I'm just, I don't like, who am I? I'm no one. I haven't shot anyone. Um, right. I'm just saying Ted Danson, like, uh, he's a formidable guy. Like he's a tall guy. Uh, yeah. He looks kind of strong. You know, like I don't think I, I would want to fight Ted Danson. I, I, I like I said, I don't want to fight anyone. I, like I maybe I could fight up him. I might be able to hold my own there. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what does that mean? <laughs> not you. I'm talking about myself. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm also I'm also not a You're fighter. You must like, back I'm me a, up. I'm Didn't a, this I'm movie a, teach you to? the bonds of brotherhood and we're in the the damn foxhole of podcasting and you're just gonna leave me you could take up him jeff you got him yeah (laughs) so they do find private ryan they inform him that you know oh we should have probably said if you've never seen you've watched this movie listener but uh, all of um private ryan's brothers have died in the war and so they're getting him out so that his mother at least has one son come home kind of the whole Um, point of the movie yeah yeah so i guess we should talk about the moral quandary of that they're risking the life of this platoon to bring home one guy how does that sit with you yeah i mean for the emotions of of a mother and that's 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 the thing is that you know ed burns throughout the movie He's a pain in the ass, right? Like he's a thorn in the side of Tom Sizemore and Tom Hanks. But is he wrong? You know, like, is he ever wrong? Like he doesn't like they should have gone around the machine gun. They maybe should have killed that German guy. Like they probably shouldn't be on this mission to find this guy, you know? And I feel like the movie is uh, saying saying that yes this was a good noble and just thing to do like this was this was a very american moment of humanity against the madness of this backdrop like i i think that that's what the movie is saying but there's a strong argument to be had like even at some point tom hanks is like man i don't give a shit about ryan i don't know who this guy is like i'm just, I just trying to go trying to get through this you know there's even when at the beginning of the movie where they're having like the the leader, the guy who ends up making the call to go get Private Ryan, 
is arguing with another guy is like, we can't jeopardize people to go in and, and he's doing it from a mind state, right? He's the head. He's the guy who's thinking from a strategic standpoint, it doesn't make any damn sense for us to do this. And the other guy's working with his heart, right? And how that works out in, in battle and all that. So um, it is yeah. an interesting debate. I mean, it's, and, and honestly, like at the end of the movie, obviously private Ryan survives. We'll, we'll cut ahead a little bit, What? but like, what a weight to lay on that guy's shoulders. Right. <laughs> you know, it. like, like man. Yeah. I mean, Tom Hanks's last words to him are earn it. And so like, boy, have fun carrying that around for the rest of your life that these, you know, seven people you don't know died trying to save you for no reason other than the fact that your brothers coincidentally died, you know? And the only reason he's still standing is because he flew past the beach at Normandy and parachuted further inland, you know? Um, so yeah. And, and, like even Ryan himself, when they pick him up, you know, he has a very unexpected reaction. He's like, this doesn't make sense. Like, just doesn't make any sense. You know, like, why are you doing this? And I think that's why eventually the others kind of come around and accept him a little more because his reaction is the same reaction yeah. that, that they would have. And he his wasn't position. like, woohoo, going home, deuces, yeah. bitches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was <laughs> like, no, like, I got this thing going on. I'm in the middle of this thing. These and, are the only brothers I have left. Yeah. And, uh, like, I'm sorry about your guys. What were their names? Like, like, let me show some respect for the guys that died. But. I'm in the middle of something here, you know, like I can't just leave. And uh, I, I think that's that's why, you know, the others do kind of come to respect him more. There is. Yeah, you know? there's a there's moment an acknowledgement. Where there's a little Ed Burns looks at him and he's like, all right. Yeah. OK. You know? Yeah. Like after all of this. And then you the get uh, that great sequence where Private Ryan's running into danger and Ed Burns grabs him, and then you later see him. He's sitting on him, so he can't move. Right. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, Private Ryan kind of takes up the Upham position. Like, like he becomes a higher priority than Upham. Like, Upham, they're like, Upham, you run around and deliver ammo. <laughs> but you, Ryan, we're going to sit on you and keep you safe. We came all this goddamn way. There's no way you're getting shot. Uh, so yeah. the, the debate becomes, all right, we've, we've come all this way. Private Ryan doesn't want to come with us. So what do you do? I mean, do you just draw guns? And say, You're coming with us or we'll kill you. But I think, so Hanks and Sizemore have a discussion. I think that Tom Sizemore comes to the only reasonable conclusion to the, that you either go home failing the mission or you stay put and help fight. And I think that they make the right call. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my questions for you for the end was going to be like, why Why do they make that call? You know, like, why do they decide to stay uh, for that battle when they could just, like you said, be like, deuces, mission over, <laughs> we're going. Um, and I, I think it's because they realize they're needed, right? Like, those guys don't have a commanding officer, you know, the best the best they can muster is a corporal, <laughs> the one guy says. Um, and, you know, like they need to be there to help plan the strategy for what is obviously going to be a very difficult, you know, battle. The odds are going to be against these guys. The bridge is of strategic importance. And again, like like 
Tom Hanks said earlier with the machine gun, we're here to win the war, right? right. Like we got orders, but we're here to win the war. And, and so they do decide to stay and participate in the battle to defend this bridge or, uh, you know, blow it if need be to keep the, keep it out of the Nazi hands, which is very interesting. Did you see the news this morning? Have you looked no. at the news yet today? It was kind of it was kind of ironic. I woke up and the headline on CNN, uh, Ukraine. They haven't admitted to doing it yet, but it's clear that they did. Blew up the largest bridge in Europe to keep Russia out of Crimea. It's the one bridge that connects Russia and Crimea, mm-hmm. and and Ukraine blew the bridge this morning. Um, so they've cut off all the supplies, you know, and 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 all of that. And there happened to be a fuel train running on the bridge at the time. It's like, like two lanes of car traffic and a train uh, lane. And there happened to be a fuel train going by when they blew it. And so it's just us like gigantic explosion. There's footage of it and stuff. I don't know. It was just kind of interesting to see after watching this, this movie timing. last night. Yeah. yeah it's interesting timing with the bridge theme, you know? Um, but yeah, they do, they do stay in, in, uh, Again, this is where you really see the leadership of Captain Miller and Sergeant Horvath, right? Like they, it's so deliberately shown that as the viewer, you know exactly what's going on in this entire battle. They gather up all their munitions. They gather, they talk through like what ammunition they have and what weapons they have. They position them, you know, they lay out the strategy. We're going to like, we're going to send you out on the rabbit, which is that weird tanky motorcycle thing. You're going to take some shots at him, try to get him to take the bait to come down this, this, like kind of cluttered road. We're going to blow the the treads off the tank and he's going to stop traffic. And then we're going to be able to pick the rest of them off. And we're putting you up in this bell tower. Like they take the time to actually show you the strategy of the battle. So then when the battle starts, you're like, okay, there he goes on the rabbit. He's going in. Okay. That tank. Okay. That, that part of the plan didn't work. That tank went right past. Oh, but this one is turning in, you know, and this is going to shit, but you have a really strong idea going into this battle as a viewer, what pieces are in play and why people are where they are. And, and, you know, like what, what the last stand is going to be, you know, this position is the Alamo last man here blows the bridge, you know? Um, so then when it, when it plays out in real time, it's so effective, you know, like you absolutely see, you know, like as the pieces of the strategy fall apart and then the guys like pivot to try to adapt, to keep it as, as alive as they can. And, uh, it's, it's a really, really stellar piece of film, you know, like just amazingly put together. I think too, that that's my favorite scene is the, the calm before the storm. The camaraderie yes. with all the people, the fact that they're starting to come around on up them, you know, like Adam Goldberg's character tells him what foobar means because there's this running thing where foobar, what's foobar? He doesn't know because he's not been in the shit, so he doesn't know the, you know, the nomenclature, the, the terminology that they use. And they're like, that's ah, a German word because he's an outsider. And then eventually, you know, Adam Goldberg tells him what foobar means. And so he's an insider now. Um, that doesn't help them, um, much, uh, but it is a good scene. They play the music and you just, you just get that little bit more character development before yeah. all of them die. And you get, you get some, some good stuff with Ryan and Miller too, you know, like 
Ryan is quietly, you know, like in mourning, you know? And yeah, this I, can't, is, this I is, can't picture my brother's faces. Yeah, this is a 19-year-old kid who just had his three brothers die, and he just learned about it, and he still has to, like, hold it together for this battle. And there's this moment where he tells this story to Tom Hanks, and it's a story about his brothers, and it's not a great story. It's not, like, a funny story. It's hard to follow. It's hard, yeah, like, but it's the sort of story that a 19-year-old kid in mourning would tell about his brothers, where he's kind of, like, half laughing and half crying, and... Tom Hanks is kind of like clearly patronizing him, like kind of smiling, like, yeah, your story, it's okay. You know, (laughs) like the way you would do for somebody who's trying to work through, you know, terrible grief. Um, It's just great character moments, you know, like just just really, really strong character moments. Um, Yeah. And then, of course, like the shit breaks loose. And like you said, they all die. But, so there's some crazy, like this is, I've seen more violent films, but I think this is the most violent in the sense of like effective use of violence. Like none of it is gratuitous, right? It's not there to be like, whoa, oh, that guy got blown up. It just all seems to be there to really uh, drive home the realism of what's going on. But the one that gets me is when the guy lights the first sticky bomb. And he goes up to the tank and he's like, hmm, where do I put this? And he just waits too long and then he just disappears into red mist. Yeah, he explodes. Yeah, yeah. my, my wife had never seen this movie before and she was interested in watching it with me. And when that happened, she she actually out loud said, oh, no. Like, like that's like, oh, no, on many levels. Like, oh, no, that ruins the plan. And oh, no, that guy just blew up. Like, yeah. who? And she was like, who was that? Is that one of the guys? And I was like, no, I don't know. Like, it's like so much happens in this movie and people like come and go, you know, there's this whole extra set of characters you get at the end just right. for this battle, you know, and, and, uh, and in, in the way the camera moves past some of this violence, like you don't even know if that was one of your guys. Sometimes you're like, was that, was that one of our guys? Like, I don't know. You know, like it's, it's just, the camera just keeps right on going. Like the violence is so constant and kind of incidental that, like it doesn't stop to give you a chance to kind of register. Like, like you said, it doesn't glorify in the moment of like the scene just keeps right on going, you know, it doesn't yeah. take a beat to give the audience the chance to go. Oh, you know, like, well, there's just the keeps one going. guy. I think there was like a turd on top of the tank or whatever. We'll get into one thing, but he, the guy gets shot and his head just is gone and his body falls over. But there was a, there was a classic Spielberg, endangering people moment where with the The molotovs the fire (laughs) i couldn't believe it so they're on top of a building this like truck goes by with two guys in the back and they throw down mollies and they explode while the guys are in it and then they run out on fire i don't know how they did that safely um if he just kind of threw the rules out the window that he learned from twilight zone but (laughs) he just went for it I had the same reaction. I was like, well, that, that sure looked real, didn't it? Like, <laughs> and, and just, just as a quick aside, the special effects in this movie, like this movie, they don't 25, feel like special effects. They feel like real. Like, yeah. There's it's, it's pretty seamless. Like when you, when you compare it to stuff like 
of the same era, like Lost World or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, uh, like there's not a moment of green screen in this movie. There's not a moment of like, oh, that looked kind of digital. You know, like, like it just feels real. Going so far as to uh, cast amputees to play the wounded soldiers. Exactly. Just to drive home the authenticity. Yeah. it, It just feels real. Like it's a pretty seamless movie. And all this time later, I don't, point at any moment and no. say oh the special effects kind of show there you no, know it holds like, up still except except the morph at the end the morph at the end uh where matt damon morphs into old Here's matt damon do you think we need this bookend <sighs> how is this film if we don't have the bookend because the whole thing about this it, when i first saw it the whole thing is is they they start by showing this old man go to a grave. You're not sure who he is or whose grave it is. And then it it crossfades into um, uh, Tom Hanks's face. And I guess you're led to believe that that character's Tom Hanks, right? First time through watching the movie. At least that's yeah. what I remember. And yeah. then at the end of the movie, it crossfades from Private Ryan's face to this old guy. And you're like, oh, that's actually Private Ryan. You know, it's funny that you say this. Because my entire life, since I saw this movie for the first time, I thought that at the beginning of the movie, it did cross fade from old Matt Damon into, into Tom Hanks. But it doesn't. Like, it doesn't? You think, you think it does, I, too. Yeah. Like, I thought it did, too, until last night when I was watching the movie. It doesn't. And I've always, always thought that it did. But it doesn't. It actually cuts to, like, a scene from like of the guys in the boat and then it focuses in on Tom Hanks. And and it's funny that you thought that it's, it's like the, close it, enough it's to the where Mandela that I, effect. Like we both yeah. thought that it that that's how it would but it's it's not what I actually still happens. think that's the intention. Right. I do too. I think the intention is that yeah. you assume that it's Tom Hanks. Yeah. It's just not as blatantly lied to me as I thought I thought it was. Yeah. Right. Because the yeah, crossfade is a firm lie. Uh but if it's like they cut to something else and then they go to him, it's like, we didn't say. Yeah, the first thing you see of Tom Hanks is his hands shaking, like yeah. opening, opening the canteen. And that's that's how you're introduced to the character. And and I had always assumed that like the eyes, the blue eyes faded into Tom Hanks's blue eyes and we were off and, and running. But that's not what happens, which shocked the hell out of me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, but anyhow, yeah, so it morphs back into the old man. Um, To answer, and the morph is shitty. Like it's, it's like yeah. very 90s, you know, like it's the only moment in the movie where it feels like real 90s. Um, to answer your question, do we need the bookend? No, I don't think we do need the bookend. I, I understand why he made the choice to do the bookend to further illustrate like the weight that Matt Damon carries so, after this. But no, yes, I don't. I but don't I also think, think the bookend is there to serve another purpose, which is to have you believe that Tom Hanks is going to make it. Yeah, maybe. And that when he doesn't, you're like, oh, but he was the old man. And then, like you said, on subsequent watches, you realize that maybe that wasn't what was implied. I still think it was. They wanted you to believe that he was Tom Hanks. But and then, yeah, there's the weight of. But I think that's the worst part of the movie. That final scene where he's with his wife. He's like, a good life. Tell, tell me, me I'm a, tell good, me I'm a good man. I just it was way too heavy handed of like, yeah, you mentioned the, what a burden it is for this guy to have the rest of his life to try to live up to the sacrifice people did for him. 
But that was just too much for me. I was like, shut up. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. There was one very small moment at the beginning when, when they're walking in the graveyard for the first time with the family where I guess old guy's son kind of steps off to the side and like takes a picture of his dad walking in the graveyard and his wife gives him this look like, what the fuck are you doing? And oh, great. That's a great her. moment. <laughs> <laughs> very realistic. What are you doing, you idiot? Yeah. It's kind of That's funny, cute. but yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that it needs it. Um, but I, then again, I, I can't think of a, like a better way to begin or end the movie. So like, I mean, it'd be interesting to see a right. where it's just cut out, you know? Um, but it doesn't it doesn't hurt the film either i don't think you know it's, well they could have done a smash cut to him like at the club doing coke <laughs> <laughs> earn it i'm gonna live life today boy <laughs> i do think they could have gotten away with just like a sweeping crane shot across all the crossings of the normandy cemetery and yeah then that, that could have had a similar effect and i think um, also like what it does is it kind of even though private ryan is based on a real person i don't think anybody else is um yeah. but um it, it, to even have like the film kind of made me think that this is a private ryan was a real person captain miller was a real person but i don't know enough about the story behind the the private ryan to say one way or the other but i just felt like i don't know like they yeah. were trying to make me think it was real based very loosely on some brothers uh like the, it did happen but the guy's name wasn't ryan but there were three brothers who were but they had to go get them out and they had to go pull somebody out and yeah. send them home yeah um and and initially like back in the day they would put families together in one group as as a normal thing like you could sign up for the army with your buddies and just go through the whole damn experience with your buddies prior to world war uh two like world war one like if you signed up with all the guys in your town you just went through the whole damn thing with the guys in your town and you were with mm. the guys in your town in france running into the thing same thing with the civil war um but then uh at world war two um a, a ship was sunk and it took out a whole family and the army finally was like, yeah, this is dumb. Like, we shouldn't, <laughs> we shouldn't put all these people together. <laughs> we just got to split these guys up. Uh, and and then uh, that and that's what led to this this family being split up initially. And then they were all killed in Normandy except for one. So, mm. but no, I don't think Miller or Horvath or any of them are, are right. based on like real. There was not a. I mean, I'm sure there was a Captain Miller, but it's not this this Captain not, Miller. Not this character. Yeah. Yeah. So did you say you had some questions? No, we've talked about all of them, of course. Um, I, I did want to talk a little bit about Upham, though. Um, oh, right. Like, like we need we need to discuss Upham and his his journey. Uh, and this dude, particularly, this dude. particularly the moment on the steps. And this dude, I'll, I'll tell you why I have. I still have this residual weirdness about this moment on the steps with Upham because I'm like you. I, I strongly empathize with Upham. Like I understand what Upham is going through. Like they needed the ammo. Upham can't, can't do it. He can't, 
he can't make it across the thing like when they're shooting at him he can't run across there one more time to bring the ammo he finally musters it he gets up on the stairs and adam goldberg's upstairs fighting for his life in the knife fight and up him up him could easily walk up those stairs and save him and he he can't like drags out like this scene is there's plenty of time right it isn't even like just in the nick oh if you'd been a second there's tons of time like they fight and fight and he's still in the stairwell like oh no and then like the guy has a knife and even while he's being stabbed there's still time right between the knife was going slow and he's still sitting there and i know i said i kind of i'd be that guy i don't think so I, I've I've been in enough crazy situations where it's like my brain turns off and I'm going to do what I have to do. And agreed. Yeah, I really think even in that moment, I now holding the bullets, being scared to make that run across. Probably I could see that. Right. Do I really need to make that run across? Like I could see that. But when it's just you and your brother's upstairs and it's one guy. I, I still think I would make that like I'd still think I'd get up the damn <laughs> stairs and try because right. I just that's such a different situation than what's happening in the with the bullets flying. Right. That is yeah. he's up there being slowly killed. And you could you could have saved him. I just I. I feel like, and I could be wrong, you know, I've never been in that specific situation, but I've been in hard situations where I've had to think logically and do what I have to do. Um, you know, I, I found my dad dead, you know, I know, okay, what do I need to do now? Like, I just, I got to it. I got it. I, you know, I went into logic mode. I, I've been bedside at a hospital when someone's almost died. I've, I've, and I've able to turn off the feelings and go into action mode. And I, I feel like I would have tried or died I, trying. I think so too. I think I would have too. I also have been in some pretty crazy situations. I think in life, like everybody occasionally goes through crazy situations, but I also think that there is a spectrum of reactions to those crazy situations. Right. And I think I, I am very much like you when 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 shit gets real, I'm able to turn off my emotions and just do what I need to do until later when I flip the fuck out. Yeah, but- <laughs> I've never been in a situation where I just sat there in shock, not knowing what to do. No, I, me either. And I'm not saying that it couldn't happen. Right. I, I'm just saying that that it hasn't yet. That said, like, I do understand that different people have different experiences, different people have different emotional reactions to things. And, and there is, again, a spectrum of things. And and so here we have somebody who is not experienced in combat, except for the last couple of days that he's been traveling around with these guys. Didn't do the Normandy thing. Right. He's mm-hmm. like a translator who came on shore afterwards. Um, and so this is the first real serious battle he's been in. They have some skirmishes, but he stays back, right? Mm -hmm. Like he watches the one through a telescope and just sees the aftermath. So this is the first real combat experience he's had and was not trained outside of basic training to be one of these guys. Right. He's like what you were talking about earlier. There's guys that are like combat guys and then there's guys that are like, I'm the warehouse guy, you know, <laughs> I run the, I bring in the, the warehouse, snacks. 
Right. Yeah. Like there's people on naval ships who refill the snack machines. There's like, a chef on job. naval ships. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, there's there's different. So he was never intended to be there in the first place. He wasn't trained to be there. Um, and And I think the army probably in the way that they have everything else super organized probably identify people on that emotional spectrum at, to a certain extent and put them in jobs according to yeah. what what they are capable of, right? And so this guy was, like, pulled out of that randomly and shoved in this other thing. And so, like, I, of course, as usual with everything, I empathize with that guy. Yeah. Like, I empathize with him being on those stairs and just, like, being having this moment of cowardice and weakness and just being unable to rally himself, you know, like, like in, and like probably to a certain extent shell shocked in that moment, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like the, this is far into the battle. It has been going on. He's been shot at like a lot. Stuff is blowing up all over the place. People have bricks raining down on them. You know, like I, I can see, in those circumstances, somebody like freezing, you know? And so like, I try to withhold judgment on him in that moment, just because I know different people, different experiences. That's totally true. And so on. It's just filmed in such a punishing way. It is. Like it just keeps dragging out how much time Upham has to do something. It isn't a matter of, Oh, I'm under fire. I can't get over there. It's not a matter of how far away he is. He's in that building with plenty of time. And they really just, they just, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I feel saw, like maybe, maybe it was ineffective in the, the setup of it. You know, maybe it could have been done in a better way, but it's just so deliberately like, you got time, get up here. I saw this movie with somebody once, and at that point, this person started saying, get up, you fucking pussy. You pussy. <laughs> I'm not going to go that which, far. Yeah, that kind of struck me as like, what? Like, like come on, man. Like, yeah. No, I, I <laughs> wouldn't would go do? that like, far. Do you, to, do to you pos- know until you're in that situation what you're exactly. going to do? Like, we, we like to say we think we would be okay. Exactly. I think we would go I up those stairs. If I were in that situation, I would act based on my history. I think I would. I am not that guy who's like, get your ass up, you son of, you know, no, I'm yeah. not going that far. Like at the end of the day, like if I met the real person, I'd be like, hey man, I don't know what I do. Honestly, I don't. I don't know what I would do in that situation. <laughs> but. You're talking about, I mean, people have to carry this stuff with them for the rest right. of their lives. Right, and that's the nobody, other thing. Nobody knows except for Upham. Upham's the only person in the world that knows that this happened, yeah. that he could have saved that I think guy. that's what would drive me, too. There are so many things that I've done that I really regret, and I've kind of gotten to a point where I'm like, I don't, like, I just don't want that weighing on me, you Same. know? And yeah, it's, it's interesting I, I would just, that. I'd rather be dead than, than, than have, again, I can't say for certain because I've never, and most likely will never be in that situation, but I just, I wouldn't want that. You know, it's like, I wouldn't want that on me that I just sat here. I don't think I could let it happen. Yeah. Like, I think I would be driven forward even. 
I'm I'm with you. I I live my life now with the refusal to create new regrets. Right. Like I don't want to carry any more weight than that I'm already carrying from dumb shit I've done in the past. You know, like yeah. So well, is that it, enough like motivation they, to get me up? No, me if up it were stairs? like I don't know. If I, don't I was know. downstairs with my kid and protecting him, and someone was upstairs dying, different situation. Sorry, bro. You know, but. I different just, situation, yeah. I just don't think I could, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, the whole movie presents a lot of situations where, like, what is your responsibility to yourself as opposed to your responsibility to, you know, the war effort, the people you're fighting with, your team. You know, even in the opening, there are guys that are just, like, hiding behind those steel things just like, nope. Like not, yep. not gonna, <laughs> not gonna, not gonna do, do it. it. Not gonna do it. I Let am here. I'm prudent. <laughs> exactly. I yeah. am staying here. You know, and, and like I think some of that is like fight or flight. You know, yeah. like just these like like really deeply ingrained survival instincts that everybody has in them from you know Neanderthal days. Like there's 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 certain situations where you might not be able to tell your body to do what you want it right. to do because like something way down deep in your lizard brain in your DNA is just like, no, we're just going to stay here in this hole. You know, <laughs> I don't care what you say. I'm going to sit here and pee, you know, yeah. like, like, uh, and so, I mean, Upham, he could have been in that situation. Ryan goes into that at a certain point, like towards the very end of that battle, when he's out of ammo, there's a shot of Ryan sitting there hugging his legs and just screaming, you know, and and like like these Different situations, situation, but yeah, break they break people, you know. Yeah. People no, get I broken. think Tom Hanks movie, is broken for the entire movie, you know. I think one thing it does it definitely shows like the 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 guys that come home with the PTSD and all the mental illness that comes with going to war, you know. I think it you could watch this movie and be like, oh, that makes sense then. Yeah. I mean, look at Caparzo. Caparzo gets killed because he has a moment of humanity. Right. You, you know, like you're watching the movie and you're thinking, oh, this dummy, you can't take that kid. But in real life, I like, would that's see somebody, that's the difference. Like, that's that's the kid. That's like, a situation, could, like, though, where I would baby. be on his side. Right. Yeah. I would be the guy who's like, I'm not going to go through life living like if this kid dies and I don't do something right now. Right. Yeah, that's one where I'm like on his. I never thought. And the other an guys idiot. are being super pragmatic. Like we cannot yeah. do this. We cannot do this. Right. We have this thing we're trying to do. We cannot do this. This just goes against. It's kind of you know like, do you take time to bury the guys or do you just leave the guys laying there? At a certain point, there's a pragmatic decision. Like right. Caparzo, and they're just like, we just have to move on. Like you're just gonna take his dog tags and you're gonna go, and that body's gonna lay there with the rest of the bodies. You know. Um, the pragmatism versus humanity. Uh, it's like this constant choice that, that happens throughout this film. Um, and, and the repercussions of how it plays out in each situation are, I think part of what makes this movie so fascinating. Yeah. I agree with that. Well, um, did this shake one, up? Well, go ahead. One, one thing, uh, one thing that I did prepare that is not a question but I've got a list of the five longest films that we've watched so far. Okay. And I was going to ask you if they've, if they earn their running time. Okay. Right. Like are, are these films too long 
or are they appropriate length for uh, the subject matter? The subject matter, the story. right? What I would put it as: Do they make use of all of the time that they're asking you to sit there? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Are they respecting your time? Right. Uh, or could they? Have Empire of the Sun does line? not respect my time. Is that on this list? You're jumping ahead. We'll get okay. There. All right, from from short from shortest to longest, the color purple, 154 minutes. Absolutely, it respected my time. I was entertained and enraptured throughout the entire runtime. Did not waste my time. It was long in the tooth where I had to take a break, but it wasn't because I was bored. Awesome. Okay, next up, tied with the color purple, Empire of the Sun, Hell 154 no. minutes. That piece of <laughs> shit can burn in a fire. I hate that. The further we get away from it, the more I hate that movie. Like it gets, it, it will be in my bottom five hands. It's a, it's a waste of time. Don't watch it. Fair. One minute longer than those two. Amistad, 155 minutes. I don't think that they use the time wisely. There is so much courtroom. Like had it been more ship stuff and then courtroom stuff, like, like if we get a better blend, Maybe. I just think that movie, while I really liked it, specifically the ending, I don't think that all the time was used responsibly. That's fair. That's fair. And then, okay. Uh, Like, Empire of the Sun is just a total waste of time. I'd say about (laughs) 50% of that movie, Amistad, probably could have been reworked in a way to make it work better. Gotcha. Next up is this one, Saving Private Ryan, 170 minutes. 100% of the time, with the exception of the bookends, I think is, is, and even those, they're so short, it doesn't matter. 100% of this film is there for a reason. Agreed. And then the longest one, Schindler's List, at 197 minutes. I don't know, man. I know that you might feel that it's 100% respectful of my time. I guess it is. I mean, yeah, I guess it is. At the end of the day, I don't I can't look at anything in that movie and say take that out. We don't need that. Like it all serves some sort of purpose. It's just so much of it. Do movies really need to be that long? It's more of a general objection to movies that are this long than it is to say Schindler's List shouldn't be this long. That's fair. I I would watch but, a longer version. <laughs> you would cuz you're a maniac. <laughs> You wanted a longer version of Empire of the Sun, which I just can't imagine. <laughs> so I surprised myself this morning. I went ahead and I put together my rankings. For the first time, I actually sat down and ranked all the films that we've watched so far. And I'm going to keep a running tally and like insert I need things to do where that I think they go. And, and shockingly, Saving Private Ryan is right now sitting at number two. Behind Schindler's? Nope. I'm not going to tell the rest. Okay, all right. Fair enough. List, That's fine. I will, say, I will say Private Ryan's at number two. It. When watching it at the height of the movie, I was like, this might be my favorite now. Um, it, it it could possibly get to number one. I considered putting it at number one. Yeah. It's another one of those where like watching it, uh, it, it was like the color purple. It was like, why haven't I been watching this more? Yeah. Like, I love this movie. I love it. You the know? further I get away from movies, my emotions change, right? Like, when I... I I first saw Color Pro. I was like, this, this is the best one. And then, like, the further away, I'm like, am I going to... Like, my emotions kind of temper a bit because you get the emotion of the film. Yeah. And, and Schindler's List was the same way. The further away I got from it, I'm like, ah, was it really that good? The only, like, 
the one that I'm like most high on is like Jurassic Park and Jaws, like a, because those are just for me. I warm blankets right. of goodness. Um, but yeah, so what I do when I did my rankings for um, as someone who's had to rank fifty something movies, I gave each one a star rating, and then I ranked those individually within that star rating, and that's how I ended up coming up with it. Made it easier. I went. But, I went with a, just a simple. Do I like this better than that? Like, yeah. do I like it less than that? You know, and just kind of stuck them in there where they go. It was fun. I was surprised. I, I was surprised at the way some of these fell. Hooks number one, baby. Um, yeah, it's not in my bottom five. Yeah, I know it's not. <laughs> Listen, I know it's not. When I sat there and watched your face as you tried to pretend to dislike it, I know. <laughs> Speaking of dislike, in two weeks we're back again and we're doing the. All right, I'm on record. I don't know if I think I've said it here several times. I I don't like Kubrick. I'm not gonna watch Kubrick. Put Kubrick in the bin. We're not doing Kubrick chronologically. I don't care how much you fight me. I'm not doing it. But before he died, he was going to make AI. And Spielberg took over. And we've got to watch it. I've seen this movie once. I hated it. I absolutely hated this movie. So we'll see how it goes. I think it's going to make for a good conversation regardless. Yeah. I think there's I think there's some cool science fiction ideas. I think there's some cool philosophical ideas. But I also have not watched it since it came out. So... Um, and I think there's probably some cool effects we can talk about too. So I'm, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to the conversation if I'm not looking forward to the film. So. Yeah. We're heading into the new millennium of Spielberg. Now we finished the eighties, nineties and parts of the seventies. Um, he's got quite the track record. Do you think, cause right now we've got him listed at 37 films. Well, yeah. I don't know if, if you count, um, Twilight Zone. Let's not count that because he didn't really direct that entire film. So he's at 36 feature length films. I'm wondering if he'll get to 52 by the end of his life to beat oh, Hitch. He's 75. And Hitch directed 53, to be honest. One of them's just lost. He's 75. So nah, like, he won't. Let's let's just let's give him 10 more years of activity. Uh Man, it sounds so harsh to say. This is a living, breathing guy who obviously well, he's not listening to I'm this. I'm like, ah, we can probably get ten more years out of him. I'm just you curious know, like, because of like, I don't know if there's another director other than Hitch that you would get fifty-two movies out of. Like, has anyone got that many films under their belt? I don't know. I will say, I will say with Spielberg, I think from here on out, we can expect his choices to be very deliberate and very personal. Oh, man. I think, I think he knows that he only has a certain number left and he's going to be making choices like for very <laughs> well, why ready reasons. player one then, bro? That's what I don't get. I said from here on out. You know who should have made that? The Wachowskis. I keep saying the Wachowskis should just make it. Like, And I don't even like The Matrix. It's just that I love Speed Racer so much. Zemeckis. And I want... I just Zemeckis want, could have made that. Like, Zemeckis oh, dude. Fun. Dude. That would have been perfect. If, if yeah. they had gotten Zemeckis to make Ready Player One, yeah, absolutely. That would have worked. Anyway, well, we got to watch this damn AI movie, so... Yeah, we'll see you in a couple weeks for AI. If you uh, want to get more out of Eric, you can go to his Twitter page, Eric underscore Hotter. Check out his YouTube, Eric Hotter on YouTube. GamingNexus.com for all his gaming reviews. If you want more out of me, check out the movie Draft House, where me and Mark review movies over there. 
Um, and then I'm on Twitter at Podcast by Jeff. I think that's it. Let's go watch AI and regroup. And then after that, we really start getting into some meaty goodness. Oh, yeah. It's gonna, it's this is where it's awesome. going to mix up my top 10, I think, because one of these movies come up. I adore. Yeah, there's a few like big bangers that will definitely knock some stuff off this list. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, we'll uh, we'll see you in two weeks for AI, y'all.